Hi, this is Steve Addison and you're listening to the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're in Mumbai, India, talking to Leepok about how God calls and shapes a movement pioneer over the whole course of his life. I was a kid from age 11, uh, grew up in a divorced family, which had a very negative impact in my life, where I, where, when I was seeking for the father's love, the early father's love or the mother's love, they were busy in their divorce and it was a very ugly scene. But as a child, so I got into drugs very early in life, 11 years. Um, and then, um, then 1985, um, after being arrested um, as an underage and they couldn't keep me in prison because I was underage, but my family thought that this, is, this guy is not going to make it. Um, and so they said, why don't you go to a theological college? Um, so I, I, I don't, I, I, I do not, I didn't even know about Jesus, but I believed in a God and I feared that God would punish me if I don't. So I went into a theological college without knowing Jesus Christ. First thing, I got baptized without knowing Jesus Christ came from a very nominal Christian background, got baptized just to get a certificate into a theological college. Five years in a theological college, it was such a good cover-up in my life. Theology made me look good, but inside, my drug habit was becoming worse and worse. Easy money from any source. I have now two homes, my mom and dad don't live together, easy money to sustain my habit. And everybody thought I was doing good uh, because I'm in the theological institution. That was a good cover up. Um, after being expelled, um, I think every, every Wednesday in the university, every Wednesday when they're having the faculty meeting, there would not be a meeting that passed by without talking about Lipo because of me getting into trouble. And then, so got expelled for a year, came back, finished my theological studies. By the time I was already um, completing, I was a full-blown heroin addict, 1990. Heroin addiction was not an easy thing. Uh, it just started as a thing just to play around, to escape from the reality of life, and it got me into more and more trouble. I got arrested, served several times in the prison, and went to several rehab centers to get cleaned up, but nothing worked. Finally, again, uh, my family gave me a last chance. I landed up in Mumbai and served six months in a rehab center. It, that also didn't work. Um, came back home, Substance changed, Lipok didn't change. Uh, from heroin to pills to 
alcohol. And then finally, in 1994, I decided to go and join a military underground movement, which the Nagas have been uh, fighting for. I was influenced by the Naga movement when I was in prison uh, with uh, meeting a lot of uh, the people who were arrested from the outfit. And I got influenced by that. And that inspired me that in 1994, June 6th, I headed to the jungles of Burma, trekked for around 20 days and reached the headquarter there and enrolled myself. Uh, life there in the, in, the, uh, in the jungle of Burma. Uh, now, um, a loose guy who's still addicted. Um, I was in a land where poppy was freely grown, where opium was freely grown, and that's how got me into addiction more and more. And now with the might of the gun, and e like easy access to money and everything. And then finally in 1999, I got arrested. That was my Damascus Road experience. I was on my way to Burma. My boss has just been shot and we had to go and re-elect another prime minister. I was the prime minister's secretary then. Then um, it was my Damascus Road. If I had gone to Burma, I don't think I would have lived this life. Um, my, my habits were just killing me. Um, I served six months in the prison. The Lord was beginning to stir in my life. Uh, some kind of a passion, but I wanted to go back. I've been, I told my inmates in the prison that, hey, one day I would like to go back to Burma and serve as a missionary. So, uh, but again, after I came out from the prison, it didn't work out. I went back to my same outfit, got into, again, drinking, and then never fulfilled what I wished for uh, because the, the abuse, the addiction was so difficult for me to clean up. Again, I was on my way back to Burma on foot this time. And when I was about to cross the India border to Burma, I got a phone call that my father had had a heart attack. I came back to attend the funeral and attended the funeral. I was totally drunk. In fact, um, fired three gunshots in, the, in my father's graveyard as a just to release some kind of an anger. I don't know what I did, but that was how I expressed myself. But um, as we were in the morning time of my dad's death, the Lord worked a miracle in my life. I cannot express that, but he took away the urge to drink and to use. Um, it's been now 18 years of sobriety. And uh, I don't know. I've tried many hospitals, rehab centers, different programs, nothing worked. But I just experienced a healing that just God just took away the urge for me to drink. And, and so uh, my dad's death, my dad's death was the only reason I could come out from this military outfit. And so I, I came out and I met a youth pastor and I asked him, hey brother, I said, I've, I've tried theology in my life, um, but it has not changed me. And I really want to change my life. And he said, why don't you go to youth with the mission? And so 
Um, I, I enrolled myself, filled up the form. Um, I was still in hiding because I, we were on a fight, not only with the Indian government, but also within our own tribes, tribal factions. And so uh, the boss that gave me uh, the discharge order was very verbal. I didn't have a document to show it. So I was literally hiding in my brother's camp. He was a police officer. So then finally I went to another city, Siliguri. That's where I met you, right? Mm. So Siliguri, I, I, I landed in Siliguri just to know who this healer was. And as I, I was hosted by a missionary family. I didn't know them at all. But by evening, I began to realize and know that they are from that people group that we were literally fighting among us, killing ourselves. And this missionary family just accepted me. And so by evening, before they, before they knew about my identity from another source, I had to just reveal that I've come from this kind of a background, that I'm the... So that's when I told this, uh, the host, the lady, I told auntie, I'm from this militant background that has been fighting against your husband's people group. And she just told me, so what? I mean, like 30 years, um, that was something that I had been longing to hear. So what is not in the Bible, but, uh, but Romans 5, 8 made sense to me now. But God demonstrated his love to me while I was still a sinner. Christ died for me. It was unconditional love shown to me by this lady. She, I don't think she really meant, but that word was full acceptance to me. It meant that like the Luke 15, where the prodigal son had gone away and the father had come back and just embraced him. And the healing was taking place. And as I went to YWAM and began to share about my life, uh, like I'm doing today, um, as I shared about my uh, relationship with my earthly father, my counselor stopped me and asked me, Nipok, have you forgiven your father? And I just realized that in my drunken state, I even fired three gunshots. Well, people should be mourning for the death of their father. I was, I was shooting guns. And that, that just described my relationship with my father. And so I, it just hit me that I had not yet forgiven my father. And so my counselor said, Deepak, I know your father is dead and buried, but have you forgiven your dad? And that was the time when he said, could you use your friend as your dad? And just verbally, just speak it out so that you, like, there's going to be some kind of a re release. And I picked up my friend. I mean, Steve, I've done some of the bravest things in life. Uh, name it. I've done a lot in my dark past. But when it came to the point of forgiving my father, I, I didn't have the guts. But when the Holy Spirit just gave me the strength, I just picked up my friend and said, Dad, I forgive you for having left mom and us. I felt a, an experience which I had never experienced before.
it was total, it was liberating. Something that had gripped my life, that unforgiven spirit from childhood that I had at that point where I was just abusing and just destroying my life and they, because I was angry with somebody. And that was with my early father. I forgave him. And that, and that, that anger that had gripped my life, I just felt a release that I had never experienced before. And that evening, my counselor came and gave me the father's love letter. And I began to read the father's love letter. It's from Genesis to Revelation. And as I began to read that, and um, I just committed my life to Jesus Christ. I said, this was what I had been looking for. I looked at it in the long places. I thought it was like theological colleges would give me that, but that was just for intellectual, academic purposes. But that, the purpose of Christ dying for me, Romans 5, 8 was becoming more and more alive. And that's when I committed my life to Jesus Christ. So with that kind of a background, the Lord had just gripped my heart. Like Paul would say, like it's for, because of the love of Christ that compels me, right? I was com compelled. I didn't know much about church planting. I, I saw a lot of people, a lot of churches being planted. I got attached to a ministry, leadership training center, where they were, they were doing a program called Each One Plant One. And I, I, I was beginning to just uh, copy them and try and do whatever they did. And so when I went to the mission field, the, the first thing, uh, the Great Commission was the biggest command that we, I said, I'm going to obey. But the second thing was 1 Thessalonians 2.8, where Paul said, I did not only share the word, but I shared my life. As I told my wife, that same year, I got married with my wife. And she also, she would never would have married me, but it was God who spoke to her. That made her say yes to a guy who had just come out from the underground, a former addict. And that was the year that I met the Lord, I met my wife. And she said, although you have a colorful past, she agrees to marry me. And so that year itself, we, we stepped into the mission field. So as we started the work, it was more um, of trying to copy, paste, whatever people were doing. Um, I come from a Naga background. I saw people having church buildings. For me, a church is a church only when I see a building. And for me, it's like, uh, and it is, is a church is qualified only when we have a paid pastor with, a, again, with a theological degree uh, and so on. So, so we went ahead and among the missing tribe, went and planted around 10 churches where I got hold of some of my comrades' children who went through the same Bible training for church pastors program. And the requirement was each one plant one and you would get a salary of 2,000 rupees. And so that was where we were planting churches. We started churches and, and there was a guy, who, American guy who said, uh, he would find me funds to build a building. So 
each we had around 10 churches 10 churches hmm. uh, with buildings and all the all the leaders we started to send them to the training center program six months they would come back and then they're qualified to be a, a pastor or a leader of the church that's when um, a friend of mine who was already getting some training from Jeff Sindel, uh, Acts 29. I got that book and I was reading that book and said, when I read about church planting movements happening among an, a people group where people are worshiping in their own heart language and, and uh, seeing multiplication of churches, that was kind of an end vision statement that I read. And I said, I want something like that to happen. I mean, like the 10 churches that we planted, mm-hmm. we were trying to teach them English songs, Western songs. Everything was like Western in design. And I was like, something just prompted me. And I, coming from a very radical, dark past, willing to do anything out of the box. Here I was, uh, planted 10 churches, and that's when Jeff and I met for the first time. I just sat for one hour. And Jeff, that week, had he said he's not a charismatic guy, but he said, Lipok, um, he had a vision that from the mouth of the Brahmaputra River, church planning movements would flow down from the mouth of the Brahmaputra and spill down to the rest of India. That's what the vision he had. And there I was just when and met him, I was in the mouth of the Brahmaputra, not satisfied with the 10 churches, not satisfied with the way worship was done because that was so artificial. Everything was Western in design. Even the buildings that we built were in design Western. And so that's when Jeff uh, and I met briefly. And the next trip was after around six months, he brought Nathan and Kerry Shane to where I was living. And that's when we said, we'll set up a training. And I want to listen. I want to learn more from you all. And Nathan and Kerry were just uh, brand new missionaries they were they didn't even have their first kid uh, and they and they didn't even call it four fields then he just said okay we'll come and teach you and they came and taught us it was in I think 2005 or six but I know the date because that's September 5th because that was the teacher's day and the school was on holiday I was also taking care of a school and so when it, there was a holiday, then I had space for training, right? So we did the training. When Then it was Kerry Sheng who opened up John 4 to, and told us the story about the Samaritan woman. And when, when the question was asked, who in this story did Jesus use as his evangelist? From my Naga churchy background, I was a bit, I thought that I would give the wrong answer if I said it was the Samaritan woman. 
Because for me, an evangelist would be somebody with an education, qualification, with somebody with some kind of, a, at least a, a character has been tested, um, everything proven. And so with a lot of hesitation, thinking that it might be the wrong answer, I, we said it was the Samaritan woman. And she said, yes, that is it. Let's go through the profile of this woman. And so we listed down the profile. We made a list like uh, Samaritan woman and Billy Graham. And we compared it. And here is this. Billy Graham was just qualifying. We ticked off everything that was for Billy Graham. Right? That's, that was what I envisioned. Mm an evangelist to be. And here was this profile of this Samaritan woman who we couldn't even think of anything. In a, my box, she had no qualification, just a brand new believer, uh, dark past. And then, and then, whereas Jesus used this lady, my biggest struggle as I planted 10 churches, was trying to manage the 10 churches because I didn't have confidence in the locals. I felt that they're not qualified to take care because they do not fit in my box. They do not fit in that Billy Graham kind of a box. And when John 4 story was told to us and we looked into the profile of this Samaritan woman, the who can and who cannot do ministry. I mean, God just used the word of God to peel off like the banana being peeled off, right? And that was that was it. And and that's when we learned that the testimony of a brand new believer is the sharpest tool. That's when Nathan told us. And it scripture convinced me. She just told her story. One line, nothing of a 30-minute sermon where we learn it in seminaries. But here was this lady who just said, so look at what I've done in my past. Could this be the Christ? And the whole village came to faith. And that was where it, the word of God convinced me. That was the point where the whole multiplication started. I began to release the, the missing tribe. One of the guys came to me and said, brother, give me 3,000 rupees. I want to go and share my story to my mother-in-law and father-in-law. And he needed bus fare. So I sent him. After around a month, he calls me from a telephone, paid telephone booth. There was no mobile phones then. He called me and said, there are 20 people who he has already baptized. And so that's when, okay, that's something that never faded in my box, my churchy background that I saw. In fact, I'm not, I didn't attend much church, but what I saw, I tried to copy. And what I saw in Siliguri was also something that like a person could even baptize only when you have a certificate a license. Mm. I myself could not baptize. 
I had to pay somebody to baptize. That was all the stuckages that I had within me. And these stuckages, as I was in the L, uh, L2 level, as a church planter, I couldn't move to the L3 because of my stuckages. So you couldn't multiply the ministry because you weren't able to mobilize and release authority. Yeah, I had so many extra biblical things that that was my problem, actually. Somebody in my, in my background, my box, I wanted somebody who could be licensed to have, do the baptism, somebody who's educated to lead the church. The church must have a building, a pastor, a salary, all these boxes. Mm-hmm. And until, until I was able to peel off these stuckages, with the word of God. I mean, Nathan and Kerry were just the messengers, but we opened the word of God together. And that is when I saw the ministry shift from the level one to level one, two, and then finally into three. They were church planning, like whatever Jeff had seen in the vision was happening in the mouth of the Brahmaputra where we, we headed straight to the Chakma people group. And the Chakma people group, there was like half million Chakma refugees in the jungles of Arunachal Pradesh. We went there. We taught them everything. It was like a field where it was like our laboratory. Whatever we learned from the word, we applied it. And the best thing is this. Because there were no Christians around, this was a purely Buddhist field with no known believer. We had just met a Buddhist monk who came to faith. So through him, we were able to penetrate into the Chakma field and apply everything that Nathan and Kerry began to teach us with no opposition from Christians. And that became like our leadership factory where everybody was seeing the testimony of a brand new believer as a sharpest tool. We were able to follow the axe hammer. They heard, they believed, and were baptized immediately. Because for us, uh, even to be baptized, we had, we, I come from that background where you needed to go through a six-month kind of a Bible study before you are baptized. And so... Just to learn it from scripture and to apply it immediately in that field, I came to a realization that although I come from a very traditional church, I'm not going to pass on my tradition to these newly planted churches among these new tribes that I'm I'm going to let the word of God be their authority and not my church be the authority. My, my tradition. That was where I respected my tradition. So I went back to Nagaland and got my license. But when it came to the missing tribe and the Chakma tribe, I said, I'm going to let them use the word of God and the Holy Spirit. 
to be their authority, to define how their church is going to be. So that was where, like, the multiplication. It just, it just didn't, like, I know, the John 4 was the peak of it. Then I was still struggling. Nathan and I, as we fellowship together, as we walk together, we struggled a lot. He was trying to convince me about baptism. But here am I trying to respect my, my church's background about baptism because I myself needed to go back to my church and have a big program to get a certificate. And Nathan is trying to tell me, no, look at scripture. And so by the time he left me, he left me a bit frustrated because I was still not being able to re release the brand new believers to do the baptism. But after six months when he came, he was in tears because the Holy Spirit had already shown me, convinced me from the word. Mm. When I read in Acts chapter 6, the, Holy, the apostles told the newly planted churches, choose among yourselves. The choosing was done by the local church. Then I realized the autonomy of the local church. Then. The choosing part to do the baptism, to do the Lord's Supper, it's rest on the local church. Whether they are planted new or maybe even 10 years, they, they are supposed to be self-governing. And so then as we walked to the river bank to do the baptism, everybody thought I was, I was going to do the baptism. Then I stopped these new believers and the leader and I said, hey, I asked them, who among you is going to do the baptism? And they said, Ramesh. Ramesh is the guy. He, he's their leader. So I told them, okay, let us pray over Ramesh now and set him aside for this work. So it was like something that the Holy Spirit just inspired me, opened my eyes after seeing how did the local church, the first church, choose the deacons. In fact, the apostles would have just chosen, but they gave the choice, the choosing part to the local church. And then the, even the Holy Spirit setting apart Barnabas and Paul, the Holy Spirit would have just said, hey, send I'm going to send this, guys. But even the setting apart was given to the, to the local church. And that was an eye-opener. And that's when, like, when Nathan came back after around six months, he was in tears, not because of the fact that I was able to release, but the enjoyment, the sweetness of where it's a confirmation, it's the Holy Spirit is at work in the field. And that's how the multiplication started to spread. And like I said, we were living in a 10-acre uh, school compound where we had around 13 houses. So I'm having people come and live with me life on life. There was a lot and lot of model SS watch and leave. All the Kirans, the Himals or the Moas, all the people that have just uh, we've sent all over South Asia from, from that school compound. They learned it firsthand 
in the chakma field, seeing all the biblical principles, all the CPM principles being applied in the chakma field without any opposition from any Christians, where people were now beginning to meet in house churches, where now we're learning the axe hammer and we're really seeing this brand new believers taking ownership of that, where we're talking about the priesthood of all believers. It's like this, this just like the Samaritan woman who's really just taken ownership of that new identity that she just received as a priest. And that's what we saw among the Chakma and the missing tribe. And, and, and we got to, like, it wasn't me teaching them. The field was teaching us. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God was the teacher, but our classroom was the field. They taught us so much. There were so much rich experiences. That was when the whole master trainer paradigm developed with Nathan and I. Uh, he and I walked away. By the time we've not even called it four fields, he walked away down to Siliguri. Somehow he said, uh, we worked ourselves out of our job, he and Jared. And then finally, why, did, why, why is he saying that? And finally, we began to understand that, okay, since he has raised Lipok and Kumar in the Northeast. So they have really worked this, themselves out of a job. That, that, again, those were learning things for me. Okay, in ministry, we are supposed to work ourselves out of a job. That was the thing. And so as we, as the field became our school and the word of God, whatever Nathan and Kerry taught us, we were seeing it being applied and proven. I don't think four fields would have been four, uh, picked up so much if it had not been proven in the field. The testimony of a brand new is the sharpest tool the oil cost listing, that's the best entry tool that you even talk about. I mean, like all the best practices, principles that we learned, everything was in the field. It proved to us that we were convinced from the field, not because of Nathan coming and just teaching us in the classroom. I don't think much learning happened in the classroom. A lot happened in the field. And then suddenly, like very... Uh, unconsciously, as we were doing ministry, I'm trying to, because my testimony is a story to be told to everybody. And what I do, what I, where I go, it's because the love of Christ controls me. I would sometimes even travel for a week and come out from the other side of the bank of the river and go and get my bicycle on a, another car. That's how I was, I was traveling. We were so passionate and just sold out to the gospel that hey, and 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 this is like, this is a group that I was the most learned guy in terms of uh, some kind of a Bible education. I was the most learned. The rest were all picked up former comrades who were just wanting to change their lives, but we were just learning life on life. First uh, Thessalonians two eight. I took it very seriously, Steve. I mean, like when Paul would just say, 
we now we we really live because of you i mean think of that rich paul is not talking about some kind of a bread being given by his disciples but that that invisible life uh, between the disciple and the discipler of course the discipler is the word uh, the holy spirit but as i disciple my disciples there is life happening they are inspiring me and so that's when that's when the whole master trainer paradigm picked up and that was like when we started to send out people i was with east west ministries and so nathan was the guy who taught us everything but the funding piece east west east west was a ministry that did not understand many things on multiplication but in terms of resources they were they are very resourceful so because of the resources available we were able to send a lot of the el force across south asia the best part was when i when we went to nepal and i've already sent kiran as a young bachelor and um he's just uh, I, i told him hey just get to know people i don't have the funding for you but i can send you funds for your food um there was another naga girl in nepal uh, in nepal kathmandu so i told her i told him live there just learn learn everything you are he's a nepali and i told him just get to know everybody after a year's time i go back and i see how kiran has grown in the lord how he has matured in his church planting that one day i began to realize that hey i've made him into a tourist guide whenever i go to nepal instead of making him do what is best and that's when i realized that i've worked myself out of a job in nepal and i had a very bitter sweet uh early flight back home uh my heart was crying out because i'm leaving a young guy in nepal now saying the the ball is in your hands saying everything that you i wanted to teach you you know it better than me and the fact that uh he can do better than me because although i am south asian i'm not nepali he's a nepali he can communicate better he understands the world views better and everything and so that was the point when i realized that i have worked myself out of a job and finally had to come back home early it was a very heavy moment for me uh there was tears of like joy but again that sadness where i have to leave a young guy the so later he got married and today he's leading the whole nepal uh movement and so those were times where like i've told you a lot of things about how things picked up but it wasn't like one day we just had a classroom kind of a training 
and everything just we just caught it and started to apply all the multiplication aspect but there was a lot of problems within me my own stockages i had to deal with that with the word of god and the holy spirit had you know east west is a big corporate organization where um they would like and the poster boy right mm-hmm. and they would host meetings i even stood side by side with george w bush junior in houston uh, it, it, and as a young guy growing in the lord by age i'm not young but in the lord i'm just growing every day there was a lot of strong identity where it's all about lipok 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 right Uh, and somehow that that's the american way of the western people uh, like if they like somebody they would really just uh make him into some kind of a superhuman kind of a figure right and and there's no discussion beyond lipo lipo and even for me that was getting in my head hmm. and the resources resources like i was in that point where i didn't even have to pray for a car right it was all there hmm. i needed one they would approve it and so that's when that spiritual uh walk journey uh, um my wife and i realized that we were not growing hmm. and then and then even when we have a meeting i'm the dominant figure because everyone just comes through me all the all the l5s or l4s that are in the meeting with east west are all guys who i at one point poured my life into sacrificed my savings to do and just help them and so when it comes to that kind of a situation um i become i become the dominant figure and everything was about me and spiritually i'm not going you only know i didn't know i was burned out i was going through motions it was like okay it's uh, we've seen church planning movements and all that you can talk about that over and over and over again which happened 3 years back but but nothing fresh was happening but i i was celebrating on the things that had happened 3 years back and enjoying the fruits of now the labor of my guys then me putting my hands in the plow so that was when my wife and i said we need to let go so we prayed about it and we wrote a very tearful resignation letter to leave east west it was a john 15 moment that cutting off mm. that pruning until you cut off some things i knew i would not grow and i'm a guy who as radical that i have lived in my dark past even in with with the lord i'm i'm i would do anything radical so i was also reading the book radical by david platt and that book messed me up i had to obey and in the same time my wife agreed and that was like kissing goodbye to a fund of $16,000 per month. Mm. 
And it's like, so my wife and I wrote that letter and prayed, prayed over the email and sent it. As we sent it, we came back to a lifestyle where we didn't even have enough support for our family now. We just kissed goodbye to $16,000, right? And now I've released all my leaders and now that, that was the moment where it uh, just hit me that we were really burnt out. You only know when you're burnt out when you leave that field. But if you're still in that same situation, you will still think that you're not burnt out. You only know when you leave. Then, then that's the time when you realize that. So then with that kind of a burnt out experience, really wanting some fresh vision, fresh, like just putting our hands in the plow, everything fresh we wanted to do. Uh, we were beginning to pray. Where, where next, Lord? And that's when um, we came down to Mumbai and did a training with one Nepali guy. At the same time, the IMB was uh, having a, their cluster meeting. And they just invited me. And I was staying in a hotel um, with my wife and son. Uh, now we can no longer afford those, at least uh, even a $50 uh, hotel room. We were taking around $10 we paid for a hotel room. Mm. And, the, uh, and, and, and then the East West president, he's a great friend of mine. Even now, he calls me and said, Rilipok, could you reconsider your resignation? I said, I said, we'll pray about it. And that's when I went and took the train to be with the IMB team in the city. And that's when I began to share my, they didn't know much about my relationship with Nathan. Uh, there was guys like Randy Murray who knew a little bit. So I got to share a little bit about it. And, and then in the evening, they just said, Lipok, could you pray about coming down to Mumbai and joining our team? not to join the IMB, but at least the team. I said, uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to pray about that. So it took me around two more years of praying and preparing myself because we had a lot of things going on in the Northeast. We have children from Burma, whom we are literally parenting them. For some of my former uh, comrades' children are there. We had to relocate them in, with their different guardians, and also even like everybody was studying with a certificate, with a birth certificate that I had manufactured as Lipok as their father. And now I wanted them to get back to their roots. Um, and so after having done all that, finally decided to move down to Mumbai, um, really wanting something fresh to happen, really wanting, uh, after having learned everything, the rich experience in the Northeast, mm. uh, walking with brothers like Nathan and Jared and Jeff, uh, that rich experience, God didn't just give it to me just for that season. Um, 
And God really wanted to enlarge my vision. And so that's how I landed up in Mumbai. As soon as I landed up in Mumbai, it's like God just brought in uh, different kinds of people, everything that like it was feeling, I was feeling so fresh in the Lord, like oh. fresh in terms of even experiencing God's providence. Um, I mean, like we emptied ourselves. Mm. Uh, and then again, like just the Lord was just giving me a slap on my face saying, hey, um, don't forget the fact that I'm in charge. Mm. Uh, whereas like my trip to the U.S. before I landed, I, I came to Mumbai. I was talking to different churches about my needs, moving in expenses and everything. And then I come to Mumbai and this IMB guy who's decided not to come to India gives me everything that he belonged, <laughs> he had from the refrigerator to the bed to the cups and everything. I just inherited and then the Lord was just giving me a slap in my face. Hey, what are you talking about? Uh, and so we just experienced God's uh, just uh, uh, providence. Mm. And that's one thing we really needed, um, just to be assured that he's in charge. Then getting us into, like, again, my heart always beats for something different. Mm. And the Lord, again, led us into the red light ministry. I mean, people been talking about the slaying the giants. The biggest giant today is the red light ministry, sex trafficking. And that's when... My wife and I was just praying, Lord, is this what you called us to do? I mean, like, we've done a lot of church planting, but not in a situation where people are so uh, damaged. Uh, the world is so broken. And when it comes to compassion, like, I'm serious about it. Um, when it comes to sharing our lives, that means, okay, that. That's radical obedience again. And so uh, my wife and I were just praying about it. And we were very hesitant in the beginning. And I flew to the U.S., attended the MOVE conference in Atlanta. And the first message that the pastor spoke was on daring faith. Lord, is this something you're talking, speaking to me about? And then this guy Black American guy comes in the next day and talks about compassion. Just talked about compassion, compassion. It's to be fleshed out. Uh, it's not something to be uh, written about. It's supposed to be fleshed out. And it's just the Holy Spirit was beginning to convict me and, and just confirmation that, hey, we need to step in into this really... Uh, into this ministry that is needs a lot of compassion ministry. And so we we came back to Mumbai and started the red light ministry and it just changed our lives. It just changed my wife, myself and our whole team, like our our way um, like our hearts were steered. Our hearts were changed. The way we did church was completely different. Um, we had to be the Luke 15 church where we have to embrace even the like 
even those people who are still practicing, still active sex workers, and just to be able to show that love. And, and as we look, into, look back into how God just put us in that red light ministry, not only to change them, but change us, how the church should be. I mean, like, it was so, it is so rich. It is so rich in the way church is supposed to be. It's not about the songs that we sing. It's not about only some guy doing the three-thirds. Uh, but a church that has been able to step out and embrace these ladies and show them that, like that woman who said, so what? I need to go back and Tell these women, so what, and embrace them. And as a male, it's difficult sometimes. But again, just showing up there and just showing them the love and caring. And again, my wife is not a huggy person. She's very reserved. But God has even changed her the way she's doing ministry today. I mean, like when... Um, when I see pictures of her hugging a lady who had just been restored, I mean, she's not a huggy person. My son and I have not been hugged as often now, but she's now hugging these ladies. And that's what the church, that's, that's how God has changed our heart, hearts. I mean, like putting us in the red light ministry has not only changed the ladies, but it has really changed us. I think that was when Paul really meant, uh, when he said, for now we really live because you stand firm in the Lord. There is life being injected both ways. It's not only us giving them, showing the love, but it changes us. Mm. And so, uh, Steve, the... the the new vision, the new fresh, just to put our hands on the plow, again here in Mumbai in such a big city, going to the slums, going to the red light areas and just being the church wherever it is. Like it just, God had just given us this opportunity to be in this city where one day this city is going to be the sending agency, the sending city to the nations. And, and I tell you, we just experience, we're just experiencing uh, a lot and lot of God's hands on us, where he's providing for us, where he's protecting us, where, where like God just put a new life into our, our hearts, my wife and I. And that's the, that's the beauty of it, being like, being able to let go the, I mean, what, John 15, like, I have a tea garden. And until I cut off the branches, the new growth doesn't take place. And I see that in my own life, where I have to let go, cut off some of the things so that new fresh buds would come out. And that's one, one thing that we're experiencing right now.
Well, if you're enjoying the Movements Podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. It really helps. I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.